My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and it is my great uh, honor and pleasure to open the scriptures together with you and to dig into what God would say to us uh, this morning through his word. And so I'm going to invite you to take uh, a copy of the scriptures, if you have one in book or app form, and turn to or swipe to John chapter 15. That's where we are uh, hanging out this morning in God's word to us. And um, and it's all, in, in many ways, it's a hard word today. And uh, what I need to say on the outset is that God's word to us is always meant for our flourishing and for our good. It's always motivated by love. And it's always meant to, um, to lead us into the fullness of joy, into the fullness of life. And so while some of these things may be hard to hear, um, we need to keep that perspective in mind. And I hope to show how some of these things that are hard are actually motivated by God's love and desire for you to experience the fullness of life and joy. And so we're going to read uh, the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. It's the same text that we uh, were in last week. And uh, we're just going to take a bit of a different approach and look at the other side of the metaphor that we talked about last week. And so these are the words of Jesus to his disciples as he's preparing to send them off. Just before he goes to the cross to die for their sins, he says this, I am the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain In me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as you have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is God's word. And so last week we uh, began diving into this uh, metaphor that Jesus gives of the vine and the branch uh, that... We as disciples of Jesus are called uh, branches that are connected vitally, connected organically to the, the vine that is Jesus for life and to produce fruit. And that fruit that we talked about last week is this supernaturally charged, fuel, supernaturally fueled character change that uh, when the life of Jesus is flowing into you and you are drawing your life from Jesus, what he always does is he produces fruit. He produces change in your character. And so he makes you someone who's more loving, someone who's more joyful, someone who has more peace, someone who has more patience, someone who has more self-control and kindness. And so he produces character change when we remain in him. And so we, we talked mostly about last week about this remaining in Jesus. What does it mean to uh, abide in Jesus, some translations say? 
What does it mean to remain in Jesus so that we can bear much fruit? And we talked specifically about where Jesus says, remain in my love. Draw your life from my love. And he says, remain in my words. And we talked about how, how we can draw life from the words of Jesus. To, to draw our life from, from his revelation to us in the scripture. And, and how, to, how to draw our life from that. This morning we're going to be talking about the, the other side of this metaphor where Jesus says, my father's the gardener. He says, my father is the, the vine dresser, some translations say. So my father is the one who is working on the vines as well. And so, yes, the branches are remaining in the vine and, and, and drawing life out of the vine, but the, there's a gardener who's doing some things as well. And, and Jesus identifies two things that this vine dresser, that this gardener does. That this vine dresser is cutting off branches that are not bearing any fruit. That he, he, he looks, he's looking for dead branches to get rid of them. And the second thing he does is he sees branches that are bearing fruit and he prunes them so that they will be even more fruitful. So the gardener's getting rid of dead branches to, and he's looking to prune living branches so that they'll bear even more fruit. And so those are our two, um, our two thoughts this morning and two, uh, parts of this metaphor we need to to dwell on this morning is, first of all, the gardener is getting rid of dead branches. And that, it's, meant to, uh, it's meant for us to lead us into a place of self-examination. That's a New Testament um, response to God's word, is to examine yourself, Paul says, whether you're in the faith or not. And so the, the, the gardener is looking, is there a living relationship with the vine, does this branch have, you know, it's there and it looks connected, but in some ways it looks connected. But is the life of the vine actually flowing into this branch or not? And if it's not, then it's got, it needs to get cut off. Is this, does this branch have a formal relationship or is it organic? Is it vital? Is it living? Is the relationship alive between the branch and the vine or is it just more formal? You know, the, the New Testament talks in many spot, many places about Christians or people who are Christians in name only. That, that they may have the, they may look like they're followers of Jesus in, in some outward or some formal senses, but there isn't this, there isn't, they're not alive to Jesus. Maybe, uh, and, and maybe that describes you. And maybe as we, uh, this morning, as you take an honest look at, yourself maybe you say well, you know what honestly i think this is describing me and we're going to talk about what you can do about that or what what to do but you know maybe uh it's talking often about second generation christians people who are um christians in name because their parents are christians but there isn't this vibrant true faith in the person of jesus their 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 faith is half-hearted and casual Maybe formal. Maybe they're part of a church for cultural or social reasons. They profess the title of Christian, but lack Christ. Lack this vibrant, zealous faith. You don't know him. You don't love him. You don't, you're, not, you're not burning and boiling for him. He's not your life. He's not the source of your life. He's not the source of your joy. He's not the, the, the source of your security. You don't pursue him. You don't pursue his vision for your life. 
Christian is a label for you, but you've never owned Jesus. There's not a personal, vibrant, zealous relationship with the historical person of Jesus Christ who's been who's God in the flesh, who's been crucified for our sins, who's been buried, risen, he's reigning now, exalted, and who will return to usher in his kingdom. Jesus has told us in many places that there'd be people like this. He told a parable of, he says there's like a field where, where they planted wheat, but some enemies came and they, they scattered uh, weed, seeds of weeds. And, and Jesus says, just let them grow up together. It'll be revealed at the end. By, their, by your fruit, you'll know them. And so there's going to be a sorting, he says, of people who look at some point, at some level, look like Christians, but there's going to be a sorting, he says. He talks about in Matthew chapter 7, he says, there's going to be people who have some sort of um, religious experience and, ha- and have some right beliefs, but who at the end, I'm going to have to say, you're going to have to, to go away because I've never known you. And they're like, whoa, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of things for you? And he says, I never knew you. There wasn't this personal, vital, living relationship. You didn't love me. You didn't follow me. You didn't serve me. You didn't trust me. You didn't draw your life from me. And friends, the difference is seen in the fruit. The difference is seen in this character change. Is he working in you? Is your relationship, your personal, living relationship, making an actual difference in your life and in your character? Your character, again, is what you do and who you are when no one's looking. When no one's looking at you, how honest are you? When no one's looking, how generous are you? The Apostle Paul defines for us the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God, the very life of Jesus, is living in you and flowing through you, he produces fruit. And he says the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He says that's what, that's what that character change is going to supernaturally bubble up in you through the Holy Spirit's living in you. And so as you remain in the vine, as you're connected to Jesus the vine and his life, and you're drawing your life from him, it's going to change the way in which you live. It's going to change the things you love. It's going to change the things you desire. It's going to change your motivations. It's going to change who you are. And he says, if, if you don't see that happening, is it possible that you're a Christian in name only? If you don't know that life and drawing that life from Jesus, is it possible you're formally connected to the vine? Maybe you've been baptized and you've become a member of a church, but you've never actually drawn your life from Jesus. Is it possible that you're one of these dead branches? Where it looks like you're connected to the vine, but you're not bearing fruit. And if that's true, then take this word of Jesus as a, as a warning of love, saying, I love to graft in branches. And I don't want to see you cut off, and I don't want to see you thrown out. I want to graft you in. You see, the difference is seen in the fruit. And Jesus identifies two of the fruits specifically in this passage. Look at verses 9 and 10 of uh, John chapter 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands 
and remain in his love. He's identifying two fruit in which we should be remaining and growing. And the first is, are you, are you growing in my love? Are you growing in love for God? Are you growing in love? Is love growing in you? If you were to ask your neighbor, if you're going to ask your spouse, you know, can you, can you describe me in three or four words? Is love one of the words that would come up? That you're a loving person. You know, in our, in our self-obsessed, self-centered, selfish, cruel world in which we live, it shouldn't be that hard to stand out as a loving person. Not a pleasant person, not a, just a charitable or benevolent person, a, a person who loves. Are you growing in love for God? Is, is your love for Jesus, is your love for God the Father, is your love for the Holy Spirit growing? How do you know? How do you know if you love someone more? How, how do we do that in human relationships? How do you know if, you, if, you love, if you're growing in love with someone? Well, there's a couple of tests, at least, bare minimum, right? Do you enjoy spending time with them? Right? If you, like, dread spending time with another person, you're like, oh, shoot, I've got to hang out with them today. Like, are you loving them? Like, is that a, is that a sign of love? I don't think so. I think there should be at least an enjoyment of the other person's presence. Do, do you, so, can you, so ask yourself, do, do I enjoy spending time with God? Do I enjoy hearing from Him? Hearing from the Word? Hearing from the Spirit of God in me? Do I enjoy talking with Him? You say, I enjoy that now more than I ever have? I think that's a sign of love for God is that we'd enjoy being around him, enjoy communicating with him. Another way in which you can tell if you're growing in love with someone is it's easier and easier to praise them. It gets easier to say how great they are. I found that in my relationship with Sherry, that I just love to talk about how fantastic she is. Do you know what's good about God? You say God is good. Do you, do you know why he's good? How he's good? And do you love praising him? Do you love praising him? You know, one of the... Uh, we make preaching central in our worship gathering. But you know what? I think the goal of preaching isn't preaching. Do you know what the goal of preaching is? A response of worship. That's why we do worship after the message. When, when worship is perfected, preaching will be no... Thank the Lord, there'll be no more preachers in heaven, right? <laughs> Praise God, there'll be, you won't have to listen to a single sermon when you're in heaven because our worship will be perfected. Preaching exists be, so that, because worship isn't natural. We find our life. So the whole goal of preaching is to make Jesus look beautiful to you so that your response is to praise him. In worship. We do it often in song and in prayer. Is it easier and easier? Is it getting easier and easier to praise Jesus? And when you do, it actually changes you. It actually changes you when you begin to to speak well of him. You know, that's why, you know, if I, if I translate that to, the, to relationships and friendships or marriages... You know, I, I firmly believe that venting 
we sometimes we say, you know, I just need to vent about my husband. I just need to vent about my wife. I firmly believe that is that is unwise and probably sinful. Because psychology tells us that when you actually speak some things out, you just say, I need to release it. Actually, what happens is you believe it more and more. And, it, and you begin, so when you vent about your spouse or you vent about your friends, what you actually are doing is you're speaking poorly of them and you actually begin to then believe that more and more about them. So is it easier to speak well of someone when it's easier to speak well of them, you're actually growing in love with them. And it actually changes you. And so when you speak well of Jesus and you praise him and you worship him, it actually changes you. And you begin to actually love him more and more. So that's why worship is transformative. Worship has a power in our lives. Do you enjoy spending time with him? Is it easier and easier to praise him? Do you feel more treasured by him? Do you feel more loved by him? Are you understanding more and more all the riches that you have in Jesus? How great his love is for you. How high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. Are you growing and just understanding just how much Jesus loves you? Just how much sin he's forgiven in you? Just how great his promises are for you? Just how amazing it is that he's the one who's adopted you? You see, a moral, religious person can do some nice things, but they're lacking his personal, living relationship. Yeah, do you know something of that? Do you know something of a living relationship with God through Jesus? A real Christian has to grow because his love is so sweet. When, I'm, when, I'm, when I have a great dessert placed in front of me, Obviously, I eat it all. It's literally impossible for me to take one or two bites. Impossible, right? Like you, it's like, whoa, where did that go? It's all of a sudden, it's gone. It's so delectable and delicious and sweet. It's just, you know, it's impossible to have one or two bites of it. You just have to have it all. His love is so sweet. And when you taste it, you just need more and more and more of it. Do you know something of that kind of relationship with God? If you're honest with yourself, don't be honest with me. Don't care about what your neighbor thinks. Do you know something of that? Honest, be honest with yourself. Do you know something of it? If you don't, take this as a loving warning from Jesus. And hear his invitation to you to graft you into the vine. To enter into a living relationship with him. Second test. Are you growing in obedience? You say, well, yeah, I think I love God. I think I love God. Well, do you obey his commands? Jesus is pretty straightforward there, right? Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. He said in other places, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll actually do what I say and what I want. Right? When you love someone, you say, your wish is my command. I want to please you. 
Psalm 1 talks about this person who's, 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 who's got that vital living relationship. He says they're like a tree planted by a stream. They're bearing fruit. They're lush. They're strong. They're growing. He says his, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. His commands, you know, we so often think, oh, you know, God is just out to kill my joy. He just wants me to get in line and prove how much I love him by uh, obeying his commands, which I really don't want to do, and spoil my fun and say, hey, you know, look how much I love you, God. I'm willing to give up all this great stuff for you. Right? Sometimes we, we think that. We think, at least I do, if you, I think like, oh, I got to like hit myself over the head. I got to bear this burden because God wants to kill my fun and my joy, but I got to prove to him how much I love him. That's thinking really poorly of God. Here's the truth. Here's the truth of the scriptures that the commands of God are always meant to lead you into the fullness of joy, not to keep it from you. It's our twisted nature of sin, which has declared war on God and fired the first shot that's in rebellion against him, that believes the worst about him and says he wants to squash my joy. That's believing the lie of Satan, the very first lie, that God isn't really for your good. He's not really for your flourishing. He's out to kill you. He's out to to keep you from fulfilling your greatest potential. That's the lie. The truth is, is that the commands of God are, are a love, uh, is love from your creator who made you, who knows you better than you know yourself and knows what will lead, lead to your flourishing, knows what's for your greatest good and greatest joy. And he said, this is how life works best if you'll walk in my ways. And so if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments because you're going to believe the best about him. You think he's great. And you know he's for you. He knows he, you know he's, he's for your joy and that your joy would be full and complete. And so his word to you is meant to lead you into joy. And so, yes, I'd love to obey it because it pleases him and because it'll, it's ultimately going to bring me the most joy. Now, I need to say, though, we're not saved. We're not, we don't enter into relationship with God because of our love and obedience. Right? We don't enter in. We don't, we're not grafted onto the vine because we really love God and we've obeyed all his commands. That's not how you start that relationship. That's a formal, that's the dead branch relationship. Let me prove how much I love you, God. Let me prove how good I am. We're not saved by that. We're, we're saved, we're enter into relationship with God through faith, through trust. Trusting in the person of Jesus to connect me to the life source of God. And saying, I can't do that on my own. I can't pay the penalty for my sin. I can't restore the relationship, but you can because of what you have done, because of who you are, Jesus. God in the flesh, crucified for my sins, dying the death I should have died, and even though you lived the life I should have lived. Paying the price for my sin, restoring relationship with the Father, rising again. It's through trust that you're connected to the vine. And you receive the Holy Spirit. You're born again. You have the very lifeblood of God rushing into you. And then you bear fruit as you come to understand all that Jesus has done. John Newton wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. He wrote many other hymns. And I love this, these lines. It'll be on the screen here uh, from one of his other hymns. 
hymns, he says, to see the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice. So to see that Jesus has fulfilled the law for you. He's, com- he's fully obeyed all the commands of God for you. And to hear his voice, his pardoning voice, his, hear his forgiveness. When you see all that Jesus has done for you, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. You're no longer a slave. You're now friends. You're now adopted. You're a child of God. And obeying the, vo- the, the words of Jesus is no longer a duty. It's a choice. Because we have new loves and new motivations, new desires. Because of what His Spirit is doing in us as we see all that He has done for us. So the gardener is looking for dead branches to get rid of them. And he's also pruning live branches to bear more fruit. So the second thought today is the gardener prunes live branches so that they will bear even more fruit. You see, a gardener, a vine dresser, wants to bring out the very best in the vine. To make that vine as productive as possible. Now here's the thing. Pruning can look and feel like an attack. It, uh, pruning can look cruel. It can look like such a waste. Look at how much work has gone into this vine or to this branch growing and all the leaves and all of the, all of the a whole season of production of drawing life out of the vine has, has caused such growth. And we think, wow, there's a potential for even more growth, even more fruit because it's bigger. But a skilled eye, a wise eye knows that nothing will be cut off that was not a gain to lose and would have been a loss to keep. When you prune and you cut off and you cut back that branch and you cut, cut back that, some of that new growth, you know that you're not cutting off anything that would be a gain to lose and would have been a loss to keep. That if you would have kept it, you actually would have had less fruit. It's the, we see this principle over and over again. Right? You, you give ore to a miner or to a refiner, and they have to put it through the fire to refine it to bring out the gold. You give an athlete to a coach, and what does the coach say? One more lap. One more lap. But I'm dying. I have no breath. I have no strength left. One more lap. You give a, a, a child to a parent, and that parent must discipline the child. You know, you, you find your kids stealing what do you, what do you, that they've stolen something. What do you have to, what do you do? You discipline, you train, you say, I love you. And I don't want you to grow up to be a kind of person who's dishonest and, and, and a thief. You're, it's not for your good for me to just sweep this under the rug. And so you discipline them. You're grounded tonight. And you're like, you're ruining my life. You're, you're taking my life away from me. And you bring that child back to apologize and return. Right? You, as a, a wise and loving parent, you have more perspective than the child. The child thinks, you're ruining my life. But as a wise parent, you know that if you were to do nothing, if you were to do the easy thing and just let it keep going, that the fruit that would be born in that child's life is not good fruit. And so you have to, you have to harm. Right? You have to take away something that you thought, that the child th- thinks is, is, is their life. And you have to take it away. You see, caring design for the purpose of growth is the only way to develop these things. And the only way to develop these things is to hurt, to stretch, 
whether it's the refining or the coach or the parent or the vine dresser. And you need skill to understand it. Again, the child doesn't get it. They don't have the perspective and the maturity to understand it all. And so the the vine dresser is going to prune. He's going to cut things out of your life that will force that branch to draw even more intensely from the vine, to lean more intensely on Christ. He'll cut things out of your life so that you would find your life in Christ even more. So you'd find your security and your hope and your reason for living all the more in him. So what is it in your life right now that you you say, if I lost that, I'm not sure life would be worth living. If I lost my health, I'm not sure life would be worth living. If I lost this relationship, I'm not sure life would be worth, worth living. If I lost my mobility, if I lost my home, if I lost what? I'm not sure life would be worth living. Don't be surprised if he cuts that off so that you'll learn to draw even more life, your life from Christ. And in the midst of that suffering, keep your time with him. Keep your time with him. Remain in his love. Remain in his word so that you can bear fruit. So that in those times of pruning, you can bear even more fruit. So friends, maybe you need to examine yourself this morning. Maybe you're like, you know what? You're, Kevin, you're talking about that dead branch and that, that's me. I've really never known that living relationship with Jesus. Friends, you can, you can know that today. It's all of grace. It's all grace. A great preacher from a century ago, uh, Charles Spurgeon, tells a story in his book, All of Grace, of a painter in London, England, who was painting a street scene. And he, he remembers a beggar in the scene, and he wanted to paint him just right. And so he invited this beggar to come to his studio so he could just get him just right. And so this uh, homeless man was... Is, is, uh, you know, is so excited, he gets all cleaned up, and he finds new clothes, and he cleans himself up, and he comes to the studio, and the, and, and the painter's like, no, I invited a beggar. I invited someone who was dirty, and that's the only one he would take. You see, the gospel works that way. We don't clean ourselves up. Jesus isn't saying to you, clean yourself up, get dressed up, fix, your, fix, your, fix yourself up first, and then I'll invite you in. No, he only invites poor people bankrupt people come repentant turning away from pride and self-sufficiency and and our rebellion against god turning a turn come turning away from trusting in our our wealth or our abilities or our goodnesses or our resources whatever come and ask for grace he says and i'll give it to you great song rock of ages says nothing in my hand i bring simply to your cross i cling Naked, I come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Foul, I'm foul. I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It's all of grace. Jesus says that what it means for you to be a Christian is that you realize just how broken, sinful, and needy you are. That you're poor, wretched, pitiable, blind, and naked. Guilty and shameful under God's just displeasure. But God in his mercy and in his grace has given his son to bear the judgment for you. And if you'll turn to him and receive grace from him, the true treasure of knowing him and being covered by his righteousness, Jesus invites you to that. 
invites you to that today. He says, I want you to be earnest. I want you to be boiling. I want you to be serious. I want you to be passionate. I want you to be urgent about repenting and turning to me and believing in me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not that you try to be a good person. Not that you attend church. Not that you love justice and mercy. All of those are fruits of knowing Jesus. But it's not what it means to be a Christian. To realize our desperate need for him and to know that it's met in Jesus and then to embrace Jesus and say, yes, that's who I need. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm staking my life on him. And so he wants you to come to him today as Savior, as, his Lord, as you, the Lord of your life. And that you bring your life under his gracious rule. And that he would make you all the best that you can possibly be. That's what he invites you to today. If that's you today, I'd invite you to, to Jesus. And I invite you to, to come and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're like, man, I was even baptized in this church many years ago, but I've never known that kind of relationship. I invite you to Jesus today. I'd love to pray with you or one of the pastors here or elders or someone beside you would love to pray with you. See all those things before the Lord this morning. We invite you to be baptized, but publicly declare this faith in Jesus. We're doing a, having a baptism in a few weeks on Easter Sunday. It's not too late to be a part of that. Maybe you are a nominal Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You've seen your true condition. You have fled to Jesus for salvation, but you've lost your earnestness. And you've started to draw your life from other places, other sources. Oh, the call today is to return to him as well. The call, the call is to return to him and go to the cross, see him dying for your lack of earnestness, and let your heart be warmed by it, heated up by it. And so let's pray together. Father in heaven, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our eyes to our condition before you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our eyes to the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that each one of us in this room would turn to him, to Jesus today, and entrust our life to him. Father, some of us in this room need to follow up that faith by being baptized, by being publicly identifying ourselves with you and with your church. So Lord, give the courage to follow that up. Give the courage and the, the grace to even just come to Jesus right in this moment. And help us to know, Lord, that you have a church here that loves to, to come alongside branches and help us learn to draw our life from the vine that is Christ. Jesus, we want to find our life in you today. We're tempted to find our life, to find our reason for living in so many other things and so many other places. And we want to return and we want to draw out your love for us again today. So help us to know you're good. Help us to praise you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen.